What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Dave, and welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast. We're at episode 11, uh, and we're definitely getting into fall now, which means uh, we're starting to get that football season underway, both college and, and NFL. And it also means that basketball season isn't that far away either. Maybe a month or so from now, um, the first games are going to tip off. So pretty excited about that. Mike, how are you feeling? I'm feeling excited about basketball, but I got to be honest, there's something on my mind. And if you don't mind, I just have something to say. I don't mind. I mean, literally this podcast is about us saying stuff. So by (laughs) all means, go for it. I mean, it's Mike and Dave. Who else is going to say something? It's true. Back in episode four, we had an early edition of That's Disrespectful, where I went off twice, once about Bleacher Report disrespecting Steve Nash or giving too much respect for Devin Booker, giving the option to call him the best son of all time. And I stand by that. That shit was messed up. But then I went off on Blake Griffin. If we remember, Blake Griffin joined the Nets and all of a sudden started dunking. I said some brutal things. I said, like, you owe Detroit money, uh, that it was an insult to Detroit. It showed that you, like, didn't care, all this. Well, since then, I've seen and listened to him on J.J. Reddick's podcast who, by the way, is retiring now after a great career, but that's beside the point. He's doing a great job with the podcast. But Blake Griffin talked on J.J. Reddick's podcast about this whole perception behind him not dunking in Detroit and then showing up in Brooklyn and dunking. And it really opened my eyes. You know, I think the big detail that I was overlooking and I won't take full blame, like, as in, I wasn't the only person that was giving shit on this. I mean, I yes, I'm going- I, I did piggyback off of you and, and say stuff, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't even mean you. I mean, like, this was in the media, too. But Hey, we're the media. <laughs> That's disrespectful. <laughs> we're getting there. Anyway, the detail that was being overlooked was, you know, what led to him uh, ending up on Brooklyn and getting to that point. And this is what he talks about on the podcast. Basically, Detroit is the team that approached him about the buyout, as opposed to it being the other way around. He didn't request. Now, this is if we believe Blake Griffin, but he says that Detroit went to him about this buyout because they more or less wanted to tank. Now, you can't just not play your good players because the league will actually fine you and punish you for tanking. But if, if Blake Griffin's not on your roster, then you have no choice but to play the young guys on your team, give them experience and, you know, lose, get a high draft pick. So they came to him and said, look, we're just going to give you this buyout. It's probably best for both sides. He agreed to it. And as a result, they decided he wasn't going to play until that buyout was like, for the rest of the, of the time while this buyout was being negotiated. 
and then after the buyout, he joins Brooklyn. Well, the time between this buyout first being discussed, wherein they decide he wasn't going to play anymore, and him joining Brooklyn and playing in that first game with them, that was nine weeks. And that was nine weeks that he said he was able to spend basically uh, getting rest and rehabilitation for his legs, which were weak all season because he didn't have adequate time to recover from the previous season going into that season. And so he said like all season he was playing on really weak legs and the, the nine weeks, when you think about it, nine weeks for a pro athlete to just rest the legs is huge. He says like that, in addition to like the improved uh, morale of the team, you know, going to a team that's about winning now as opposed to tanking, really, is what led to him dunking. And I'll admit, like, the optics looked really bad because he was very happy visually to be dunking in Brooklyn. But I wasn't considering the the nine weeks of rest. I, I was just uh, pulled in by, like, how it looked at the surface. And I think a big problem is when, like, in society is when people can't admit to being wrong, can't accept that they're wrong about something, can't go back on that. And I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want this podcast to come across like we are too egotistical to admit when we're wrong. And so I want to take this opportunity to apologize and say I was wrong. I let the optics suck me in and that's my bad, Like Griffin. <laughs> that was disrespectful of me. There is something to be said about being on a team that does want you there and that wants to win versus a team that like doesn't really have you in their plans anymore and wants to lose. Um, that's going to be tough for anybody. And if he, what he is saying is true and he just, his legs weren't under him, like, like he wanted them to be and all that. Um, then I mean, it makes sense. It's still kind of crazy that he never dunked once though. Like I will say that surely you could have, your legs were working well enough to dunk at least one time. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, but either way. Yeah. Um, and shout out to JJ Reddick for, you know, his great career, like you mentioned before, um, he just announced his retirement. Um, was it 15 years or something like that? Yeah. 15 seasons. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive. And, um, but don't, his, his podcast is trash. Don't listen to it. Um, Mike and Dave podcast is where it's at. Anyways, um, so that's gonna, um, that's gonna wrap up the intro. And when we come back, we're gonna do something similar to what I'm sure everybody's favorite, one of their favorite segments on here, our bold predictions. It's gonna be like that, but a longer version because we've got hot takes for the college football and, and NFL season so far. So stick around, you're gonna wanna listen to these. All right, guys. So at the time of recording this podcast, we are three weeks into the college football season, two weeks into the NFL season. So we wanted to give you some way too early hot takes for both of those two seasons. So we're going to start with college and we've got, we each have two hot takes for you. So Dave, I'm going to let you go first. Give me your first hot take. All right. So this hot take <clears throat> is dedicated to Mike and his Michigan Wolverines. Oh no. So if you, if you listen to last episode, then you heard Mike go on a impromptu 
unrehearsed, unplanned rant about how terrible Michigan is and how they can never beat Ohio State. Uh, pretty much every year. Like, what is it, three times since 2000 or three times this century or yeah, something? Yeah, 2000, 2003, and 2011. Okay. Well, Thanks for bringing that up. My hot take, my hot take is that Michigan will beat Ohio State this year, but that it won't actually matter because both Michigan and Ohio State will, will not be in college football playoff contention. <laughs> All right, listen up. That is a fat dub for me. <laughs> this year, we could have been outscored 70 to 0 in every game of the season. If we beat Ohio State, I would still give Jim Harbaugh a 25 year extension. <laughs> That's how badly I want to see this happen. Really? So I pray that you're, yes, for not every season, but one season, I would take that all day. No, like, would you really give Jim Harbaugh that big of an extension? He's. Kind of trash. Show me an Ohio State dub. That's all I want. <laughs> okay, well, if my hot take's correct, then you're going to see it. Um, my reasoning behind this, Ohio State has really struggled this season so far. I mean, at the time of recording this, they haven't played Akron yet. I'm assuming they'll win, but like, still. Um, Minnesota, they barely edged. Um I mean, at the end, they ended up winning by 14, but it was closer than that suggests. Then they got beaten by Oregon, who, granted, Oregon's a good team, but still. And then Tulsa, that game was pretty close for a long, long part of the game. Then they ended up pulling away, winning by 21, but it was a lot closer than the score indicated. I just think that this year is going to be the year. Michigan's looked pretty good so far. Um, you know, we we saw that Ronnie Bell got injured. But their running game has just been dominating opponents. Um, and I think that Michigan combined with their defense and, you know, Ohio State's offense has still been pretty good. But will they be able to stop the run of Michigan? And if Michigan can just run the ball down their throats, keep the ball out of Ohio State's hands, um, then I think they have a real shot of of winning. Now, I will say Penn State looks really good this year. Um, and... I expect them to be the team that makes the college football playoff from the Big Ten. Um, but who knows? Maybe Ohio State does manage to scrape by, and maybe Michigan beats them and spoils the party. I don't know. But like the main hot take here is Michigan will beat Ohio State this year, and finally Mike will get what he so desperately wants and needs as a Michigan fan. Boy, I hope you're right. I mean, Blake Corum, our running back, looks amazing. Low-key, one of the better running backs in football so far. He's actually third in rushing yards in the country, and he has fewer carries than the two guys ahead of him. He's averaging eight and a half yards a carry. He is also tied for first in the nation in rushing touchdowns. And that's with only having, like, He's sharing a decent percentage of the carries with Hassan Haskins, our second string running back. And Blake Corm is still putting up this production. So like our running game does look great, like you said. I just really hope that that continues against Ohio State, against whom we always tend to forget who to, like how to play football. But like I said, I hope you're right. I really do. My first hot take is about the Heisman Trophy. Bryce Young has been playing really well. Of course, he's the quarterback for 
in all likelihood, the best team in college football. Matt Coral at Ole Miss has also played well. In their game, granted it was against Tulane, but in that game, seven touchdowns. Three in the air, four on the ground. He could very well be the best player in college football. So there's this whole, like, well, do you give the Heisman Trophy to the quarterback of the best team or just straight up the best player? Thing is, Alabama and Ole Miss play each other on October 2nd, which will be the Saturday after this podcast comes out or after this episode comes out. The winner of that game, I'm going to call like 90%. The winner of that game, that quarterback will win the Heisman. The only, like the room for error here is like Alabama wins despite a bad game from Bryce Young and Coral balls out. But assuming that doesn't happen or vice versa, then the winning quarterback of that matchup on October 2nd will win the Heisman. Okay, I like it. Um, Yeah, I think he's been very impressive. Um, Bryce Young's also been impressive, especially like this is his first year as a starter, but you know me, I like there being like new teams that are showing out and in contention for the, you know, for the college football playoff and guys who are, you know, he was definitely someone that people were looking at both for, you know, on NFL draft radar and also just in general, like for the Heisman trophy, because he's, he's been pretty good so far, but I think he's exceeded any expectation that anybody had of him. And maybe he can lead Ole Miss to, um, to heights that they haven't achieved in quite some time. Of course, they've still got, I mean, they, they've got a very tough road ahead of them, if we're being honest. Like, Arkansas is randomly better this year. You know, they still got to play, um, obviously, Alabama, like you said. They have to play Auburn. They have to play Texas A&M. That's th- those are all going to be tough. And that game against Mississippi State, the Egg Bowl, will probably still be difficult. You know, that game is always hotly contested. So, my gut is telling me Bryce Young will win it because the Alabama voters, you know, but no, I think that would be, you know, I think that would be cool if, um, if Coral won it for sure. So my second hot take, the ACC is the worst conference in the power five, the worst power five conference. Not only that, I think the ACC is the worst Power Five conference, even when Oklahoma and Texas leave the Big 12. That's how terrible the ACC has become. Um, really, the Clemson is the only team that you can count on from the ACC. Like, that's one of the reasons, obviously, they've been pretty good this year. Maybe not so much. Um, they've been one of the best teams in the country for sure. But it's almost been like a free pass for them to get in the college football playoff because everybody knows there's not any other real contender from the ACC every year. I mean, don't even get me started on how bad Florida State is right now. Miami, who was, you know, who came into the season ranked in the top 25, they're one and two. You know, UNC, which came in ranked pretty highly, led by Sam Howell, they've had a disappointing start. They're barely ranked. Virginia Tech. Come on, we're, I mean, they're always okay, but like, are they, they're, they're not a contender when it comes to teams that could actually be contenders um, in each conference. 
I just think the ACC is is the weakest. Um, it's Clemson, and then literally there's a a huge gap between them and every other team in the ACC, and it, it's just kind of it's just kind of disappointing and it's just kind of sad at this point. Um, I, I listened to the, the, the new commissioner of the ACC talking about like after week one, um, where basically like all the teams in the ACC lost, um, he was like, no, I, you know, I really like our, the team, our teams in the conference. I think we've, uh, we've got, you know, some some new head coaches they're figuring it out all these things you know saying all the right stuff as the commissioner of the league of the conference i should say but i've watched some acc football it's low tier very low tier and um it's just kind of you know it's just kind of sad uh how far it's fallen because i remember when the acc used to be like up there with the sec and like which one's better but past few years, I think they're the worst conference out of the Power Five for sure. And you mentioned like Clemson being the one good team, and even Clemson, I think this year they're just going to take a break from the playoffs anyway. Like you, pre- they pretty much had to beat Georgia because you look at the rest of their schedule, <clears throat> and who are they playing for the rest of the season? The shitty ACC. <laughs> like no one on that schedule is going to make them go up in the rankings. All they can do is sit back and hopefully for their case, blow out other teams and have teams that are ranked higher than them lose. They don't control their own destiny. They don't have like an elite playmaker to count on. Like they had in Trevor Lawrence or in Sean Watson. So the ACC, at least this year. Yeah, they are definitely the worst. Yeah, I mean, Clemson doesn't even face a ranked, like right now, like as of today, they don't face a ranked opponent all year after they lost to Georgia. I mean, they beat South Carolina State 49-3. to They as only should. Yeah, they only put up 14 points against Georgia Tech. Like, no offense to any like, Yellow Jackets listening, but I mean, come on. That's, that's just brutal. And it's just so far removed from the Clemson that we're used to know, like that we're used to seeing. I just don't see it happening for them. Um, And in my opinion, even if they end up winning, maybe they sneak in to the college football playoff, especially if some of these teams from the SEC, the Big Ten, do cannibalize each other. I mean, who's, who's realistically picking Clemson to win the national championship, even if they get into the college football playoff? I know I'm not. And there are plenty of 3-0 and teams left that actually do control their own destiny because they have bigger, um, tougher schedules with more significant games. I guess the point that I would, would want to make is that Clemson at this point has to get lucky and depend on the failure of others where there are teams that can will themselves into the playoffs by winning their own games. Speaking of winning games... I wouldn't call this super hot of a take, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Alabama had a closer than many expected game against Florida. And after this game, I was seeing a lot of 
like analysts writing their their articles going like uh, Alabama is human pump the brakes on Alabama that they, uh, they can be beaten all this I have one thing to say to them and that's no you pump the brakes because the reality is they still won and it was like they just flicked a switch at the end where they were like no 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 we're still Bama the tide is still rolling and the thing is for Florida to get to the point that they got to pretty much everything had to go right they they survived the first quarter they came back they showed toughness they they put pressure on all that they made big plays and they still lost i don't see that as oh they they put down the blueprint for other teams going forward all you have to do is like follow these three steps and just do it a little better. I see this as they did as well as a team probably can against Bama and still lost. Because even when like you do these three these three things really well, they're like Bama's just on another level. I think Bama's gonna win the championship again this year. They've won six of the last twelve national championships dating back to two thousand nine. They've played in eight of those twelve. And it's Nick Saban. You think he's going to watch the tape of this Florida game and not learn something from it? I mean, honestly, like they're going to be fine, especially with Bryce Young. And interesting stat about Bryce Young. He's act, he actually threw the ball better under pressure than he did in a clean pocket. And clean pocket passing is something that's way easier to fix in practice than passing under pressure. It shows that he has a natural poise about him, that he's relatively unrattled by pressure, which is something you can't coach as well. I think Alabama has all the ingredients to just go undefeated the rest of the year, finish this out, win the championship. Earlier when you said, I have one thing to say to those like media members or whatever, I thought you were just going to be like, roll tide. But then... <laughs> <laughs> I should have. Yeah. Missed opportunity. That's okay. Um... Nah, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to bet against them. You know, first of all, I'm very glad that they beat Florida. I would, that would have been so annoying for me personally if Florida had managed to pull that out. But I mean, they, like you said, they weathered the storm um, and they, they couldn't really get much going after that first quarter, Alabama, but um, they hung in there and uh, they took all of the best shots from the Gators that, that they that they could give and um, you know, of course they, they still end up winning the game. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think Alabama going undefeated and winning the championship, I don't know how big of a hot take that is, but if we look at their schedule, they do have a lot of tough games. Like we were talking about the Ole Miss game. Then the very next week, they've got to go to college station and play Texas A&M. That's not going to be easy. Um, and then they close out the season I mean, I'm I'm not thinking that Arkansas is going to take down Alabama, but Arkansas has been better this year. They're ranked 16th. And then, of course, the Iron Bowl at the end. You never know how that can go. So, and then assuming that they play Georgia in the SEC championship game, I think that will probably be their toughest test from what I've seen so far uh, with Georgia's defense versus Bryce Young and the Alabama offense. I think that'll be, that you know, obviously a game to to look out for if that does end up happening. But 
remember that we did circle or we did tell you to circle that game against Texas A&M in our very first episode because our first hot seat nominee or one of them was Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban because Jimbo Fisher said we're going to beat their ass while Nick Saban is still there. Nick Saban said at golf. And now here we are. We're going to see it October 9th. Nick Saban will have that on his mind. I think he beats Texas A&M down. Good riddance. Jimbo, thanks for the th- <laughs> thanks for the national championship at Tallahassee, but uh yeah, you screwed our program over and now we suck. Like tremendously bad. Like Honestly, I don't Florida State hasn't shown me that they can win a single game this year. Maybe that's like an, a, a bonus hot take for you. Florida State may only win like one or two games this year. They might be the worst team in the ACC. And with the level of talent, as far as however many stars you want to put on these recruits, it's like when they get to Tallahassee, all of a sudden they forget how to play football. Like you talk about Michigan playing Ohio State and they forget how to play football. Florida State forgets how to play football against Jacksonville State and loses on the final play of the game because they can't make a freaking tackle. Like, it's not that difficult. Mike Norvell, like, at, at this point, I feel like it doesn't even matter who we bring in. Like, Willie Taggart was absolute garbage. Mike Norvell is, you know, had a great season at Memphis. He comes in. Florida State sucks last year. Okay, whatever. It's COVID. He's trying to, you know, make his stamp on the team, whatever. Then we praise Florida State. We we praise McKenzie Milton. He comes back from the injury. They almost win that game. They don't quite complete the comeback. Then they go, go ahead and the next week they lose to Jacksonville State. Then they get absolutely get their pants blown off of them by freaking Wake Forest. Like, wake the hell up. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are we doing here? It's still Florida State. Like, before the game, the Wake Forest coach, he was like, you know, I, I still look at it. They're still Florida State. You know, they still deserve to be respected. They're still one of the biggest brands, biggest names in college football. Well, not for long. If they keep this up, like... Low key, they're the like most underperforming team in terms of talent and then where they actually finish in the league every single year. And yet for some reason, there's still like these big like primetime games with like Notre Dame and Florida State. It's like why? Unless you just want to torture all the Florida State fans and make everybody have to watch us our, our stupid offense and our special teams that can't freaking do anything right and our defense we can't make a freaking tackle except for Jermaine Johnson he's like our only good player on defense our offensive line is freaking leaky so leaky I just I just I long for the days where I would turn on the TV and I'd be excited to watch a Florida State game because I felt like we were probably going to win and we were going to play an entertaining brand of football. Not some stupid crap where we just 
throw the ball on a wide receiver screen. He gets tackled for a three-yard loss. Then we run the ball right up the middle on second and 13 and get no yards. And then we throw an incompletion uh, way down the field because our quarterback's getting pressured in two seconds. Like, And then we punt, and the punt's shanked, and then the other team goes down and scores a touchdown. At repeat. Like, I'm just tired of it. Anyways, moving on to NFL hot takes. You know what? While I'm com- while I'm complaining about my teams being absolute trash, let me talk about the Falcons because you know what? <laughs> At least the Falcons have always been this way. Florida State is just this is a new development, but no, the Falcons have literally always made me feel this way. And guess what? Through two games this year, nothing's changed. New coach. Nothing's changed. New defensive coordinator. We still can't stop anybody. Freaking Dean Pease. You should have stayed retired, buddy. Like, it, just quit now. It's fine. Like, I don't. I won't blame you. I understand the pieces you have to work with, and uh, they aren't fitting together. It's like when you have a puzzle, and he's trying to put, put the, the puzzle together, but he doesn't have the right pieces, and so it just falls apart. And then you just get really frustrated and you don't know where like the puzzle pieces are. You know, it's just, it's one of those situations. So freaking, it's embarrassing. And there was that point like in the Buccaneers game where they got within three points and finally they they showed some life. My, Matt Ryan freaking dove into the end zone on that two point conversion. And I was like, okay, I see you. And then he throws two pick sixes. To the same guy. Come Come on, dude. And that dude was freaking subbing in at slot corner. He's not even a slot corner. And then he gets two pick sixes. Like, this is what happens with the Buccaneers. Their slot cornerback gets injured. Oh, that's fine. We'll put in our safety and, and he'll like to make two game-changing plays. Like, the Falcons... Oh, I haven't even told you my hot take yet. My hot take. Falcons are going to be the worst team in the NFC this year. The Jags are going to be the worst team in the AFC. Falcons are going to be the worst team in the NFC. I think the Jags will have a worse record, but I think the Falcons will draft top two. They'll cho- they'll choose whatever quarterback they want out of the available class. And it won't solve a damn thing because we're still cursed. Our defense is still going to be freaking a speed bump. If th- And that's being freaking nice. And, uh, our offensive line isn't going to protect him. Like, he's not protecting Matt Ryan. Freaking Jalen Mayfield, I don't even go there. I know he's, you're a Michigan guy, but, like, come on. Um, it doesn't mean I'm going to pretend, like, Michigan means I probably like him. It doesn't mean I think he's, like, hot shit. I, yeah. I think Jalen Mayfield has potential. Not that he's shown it yet. That's true. And to be fair, they did change his position from right tackle to left guard. Yeah. And, uh. His first games was against Fletcher Cox and that Eagles defensive line. And then against freaking Vita Vea and Ndamukong Sue and the Buccaneers defensive line. That's not necessarily the best. Not to mention the line two games to start that the with. Buccaneers send at you too. They don't just rush for every play. That's true. Um, but anyways, so yeah, Falcons are going to draft their quarterback. <clears throat> I don't know what's going to happen to Matt Ryan, but. They're going to have, you know, all those people that were saying, oh, you should have drafted Justin Fields, you know, maybe, 
but it doesn't really matter because we'll we'll be in a position to draft freaking uh Spencer Rattler or somebody like so it's it doesn't really matter too much um but like I said at the end of the day it's not actually going to change anything the Falcons are still going to suck and uh whoever put the curse on the Falcons um please lift it we've suffered enough if you watch that game the Buccaneers the the phrase cat and mouse game comes to mind. Like the Buccaneers got so freaking bored playing the Falcons that they just let us come back. Like I think it was I think they were up twenty eight to ten and then or twenty eight to seven or something like that. And then the Falcons came back to uh bring it twenty eight twenty five. Anyway, the Buccaneers just got so bored that they basically took a nap on the field and let the Falcons come back a little bit. And then they woke up and they're like, oh, is it a close game? Yeah, let's go ahead and score like 17 unanswered or whatever the hell it was. Like, I if if you're a Falcons fan, don't don't get it twisted and be like, oh, we put 25 on the Bucks defense. Yeah, they couldn't have cared less. Uh, the Buccaneers, when we did our NFL tier list to start the season, we put the Buccaneers at number one, and the Falcons putting 25 on them doesn't change a damn thing for me about that. I think they're still number one the way they just turned it on out of nowhere just to go, no, 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 sit down. We're, we're that team. I mean, even in week one where they barely squeaked out that victory, Tom Brady's at whatever deficiencies the defense is showing right now, and they do have some issues at corner and in the secondary because of injuries. Tom Brady is playing at an unreal level right now, and that's making up for any defensive lapses that they have. Um, as far as the Falcons on our tier list, why did we put them in long shot? Well, I mean, was it the was it the fact that like we've got the new coach, the new defensive coordinator? You know, um, we got Kyle Pitts; he'll be a game changer. Like, were we just thinking on those lines? Because as soon as I started watching us play against the Eagles and get absolutely manhandled in every single facet. I just knew uh, we should have put them like 30, you know, we should have put, it should have been the, the lions, the jets, and then the Falcons or something like to be fair, the, the Texans have looked a lot better as well um, than we thought, but yeah, Falcons, I don't know why we even gave them a chance. Absolute dog water. Uh, what else needs to be said? First of all, I like that on the last episode, I went on my little rant about how disappointing Michigan is, and then you fire back with not one, but two teams that, that you're disappointed in. And I, of course, share your disappointment in the Falcons. We're just going to hit y'all with all of our, our teams eventually and how pissed off they make us. Um, earlier in the episode, I talked about the importance of being able to you know, admit when you're wrong. And I said that we would do that on this podcast when we're wrong. I think when we go back and look at our tier list, I think that we did a lot well with it. And of course, it was a prediction, right? I think we'll also have plenty to say about things that were wrong. And you mentioned, like, why do we put the Falcons that high? And I will say for me, it was the coach. Otherwise, I would have had them no shot. My, one of my hot takes is an area that I think we were wrong. And that's with the Carolina Panthers. We had the Panthers as no shots. 
at number 26. This team has playoff aspirations. Sam Darnold. Yeah, the change of scenery. Again, this is our too early. We're at, we've seen two games so far. But Sam Darnold has three touchdowns to one interception. In both games, he's thrown for over 200 yards in the first half. The defense is coming along quickly and efficiently. This team is putting it all together. <clears throat> and it's not like he's having to like even lean on one receiver. He's finding DJ Moore. He's finding Christian McCaffrey. He hasn't even begun to develop chemistry with Robbie Anderson yet. And one thing I'm noticing with Sam Darnold in these games is a good balance of like taking shots down the field without forcing it. He's taking the checkdowns when he needs to. They're on an upward trajectory and they have a bunch of winnable games. If we look at their schedule, there are only a handful of games where like, yeah, you're probably not going to win that. But pretty much every other game on the schedule is like, yeah, I, I can see it. I, I can see that. I can see that. So let me pull up their schedule real quick. So starting on the 23rd, they've got the Texans. Winnable. Then the Cowboys. Winnable. Eagles. Winnable. Vikings. The way the Vikings have looked so far. Sorry. Winnable. Giants. Winnable. Falcons. Oh my gosh. <laughs> moderately losable, I guess, but I would fully expect them to win. Cardinals, that's tough. Washington, could be tough, but winnable. Dolphins, winnable. Falcons again, there you go. Then Bucks, Saints, Bucks. And who knows which version of the Saints they'll get that game. They've already beat them once. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped the Bills. Um, The Bills come before that Bucks, Saints, Bucks so the last four games are rough. But if they can even take like one or two of those four games, I think that they'll have piled up enough wins at that point that they'll be fine. I don't expect them to win the NFC South. I think the Bucks will win that for sure. But I wouldn't be shocked to see this team get a wild card spot. Now, once they're in the playoffs, do I think they're going to the Super Bowl? Uh, no. But... I think that they've shown me enough so far to make me go, we were probably wrong to put them in no shot. Maybe they elevate themselves towards the top of the long shots, maybe the bottom of the hopefuls, but probably the top of the long shots for me in retrospect. Yeah, we we disrespected them a little bit, I think. Um, we I, I'm pretty sure we said that their defense was going to be pretty good. Um but that Sam Darnold was not going to be the guy to lead them to the Super Bowl or, or anything like that. I still think that's true, but he has played a lot better. And of course, there there has been so much talk about Sam Darnold's performance compared to Zach Wilson's performance. Um, and the fact that Sam Darnold wasn't the problem, the Jets are the problem, um, which I feel like is definitely true. Um, and like, I mean, look, Sam Darnold, he's got a better offensive line. He's got way better weapons. I mean, come on. You've got arguably the best running back in, in football in McCaffrey. A couple of really solid receivers, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. And you got a good coaching there. I think the Panthers low-key have um, a really good coaching staff. 
uh, and you know, Joe Brady's there. And I think that they've just, like you said, he ta- he's been making smarter plays and he just seems more comfortable. So good for Sam Darnold for whatever reason. I dislike the Buccaneers and the Saints more in our division than the Panthers. I'm not sure why. So, eh, it's fine. I, I don't mind it to see them do well at this point. It's kind of like whatever. Um, but I will say, okay, so my hot take is that the NFC West will obviously have you know the division winner, but then two other teams from the NFC West will make up both of the wildcard spots. Not only that, players from one of those teams will win Defensive Player of the Year and MVP. And one of those teams is going to win the Super Bowl this year. I think the NFC West has looked far and away the best division um, in football, as we kind of expected. Like, that's not a hot take whatsoever, right? But, I mean, the 49ers, they've looked better than we expected. I think they're 2-0. and The Rams, we expected them to be a Super Bowl contender. They're 2-0. and The Cardinals... I think we actually have the Cardinals ranked a lot higher than a lot of people did. Kyler Murray's looked exceptional. That offense is humming uh, with him at the helm. Hopkins does all of his work in the first like few drives. And then everybody else, like once they start doubling Hopkins, they just hit Christian Kirk for long touchdowns or Rondale Moore or AJ Green. Even Max Williams randomly got like 70 something yards receiving. Uh, in the last game. Yeah, their offensive line is cooking right now. Um, and of course, their defense, led by Chandler Jones, has been playing pretty well too. So I really like what I've seen from them. And the Seahawks, uh, I mean, Tyler Lockett's been fantastic for them. Russell Wilson's still looking like the same guy. I think right now, the Seahawks might, the Seahawks and their 40, the 49ers, I think, might end up at the bottom of that division. But I really like what I've seen from all these teams. Um, of course, defensive player of the year. I'm looking at Aaron Donald, of course, Chandler Jones, even Tyron Matthew um, for the Cardinals could be in contention for that. He's had a really good start to the season. And then MVP. I mean, Kyler's play like an MVP candidate. Stafford's played like an MVP candidate. And of course, you can never count out Russell Wilson. Um, so I think that those definitely could happen. And as far as the Super Bowl, I really like what I've seen from the Rams. I really like what I've seen from the Rams so far, both offensively and defensively. And they're, I'm not going to say that they're going to win the Super Bowl, but um, I've just been really impressed and how Stafford has just fit right in. Um, you know, we talked about this on the last podcast, like how, how will Stafford adjust to this new offense and not being in Detroit anymore? I think he looks pretty comfortable. So that connection from with him and Cooper Cup has been outstanding. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see more from the Rams this year and just in general from this entire division. Their games are always really fun to watch. I think that would be kind of crazy to see just from a historical standpoint to see one division put out their division winner and then both wild cards. And if any division is going to do it, it's going to be the NFC West for sure. Kyler Murray, like you said, has been balling. Uh, early MVP candidate, still has fifteen weeks or fifteen games to play, but this is early, and he's been balling. And I love the fit Stafford on the Rams. I don't even know who they're playing yet. 
assuming they make the playoffs, I want them to win at least one playoff game. Stafford deserves a playoff win, let's be honest. In my last take, I talked about a team that we did not give enough credit to. Now I want to talk about a team that we may have overestimated. I think reasonably so. I think we were right to look favorably favorably upon them. But so far, they're not backing that up. The Chargers. Chargers are 1-1, one one, which <laughs> it's not even 0-2 and I'm hitting the panic button. But what is it about them? Is it that they're undisciplined and just have costly penalty after costly penalty after costly pen- penalty? I think they had nine first downs removed in their last game. Not to mention a touchdown that was called back. Are they cursed? Honestly? Like, you had a kick go off the uprights. And it seems like last year we talked about, you know, they were competitive in a lot of games. They just couldn't close it out. And we said before the season, oh, a lot of those will probably go away because change the coaching staff. They have Brandon Staley now. No, they... They just let a close one slip away to Dallas. They have 17 games on their schedule. And pretty much all of them are away games. Because LA doesn't support their team. So it's not like they even have home field advantage ever. Well, LA's team is the Rams. Yeah. The Chargers just happen to play there. Yeah, because they moved from San Diego. So... Like if you if you looked at the uh the game against Dallas, like they showed the the uh the audience and it was primarily Cowboys fans. I know Cowboys are America's team, but that's pretty much what all of their quote unquote home games look like. Just a smattering of all the other uh fans that came to support the team that happens to be playing the Chargers that week. Now we had them in Super Bowl hopeful as like I think the best team in Super Bowl hopeful but they're one and one I'm not very convinced so far by them I'm looking at their tough division and like the Raiders and Broncos randomly let's just give them a shout out real quick both of them have looked really impressive Teddy Bridgewater is balling by the way yeah like don't don't let anybody ever say Teddy Bridgewater doesn't push the ball down the field because and this in that last game, he was bombing it downfield to Cortland Sutton over and over and over again. And that connection was working. And of course the Raiders, like Derek Carr, low key playing like an MVP candidate. Of course, it's two weeks into the season, but the Raiders have finally looked like they're starting to figure it out. You know, with John Gruden there. They finally hit on some, you know, some things that are working for them, both on offense and their defense can actually stop guys every every once in a while. So yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. The Raiders, the Broncos, they're both off to 2-0 and starts. And that's bad news for the Chargers because before the season, we would have said all four of those games, probably potential Ws for the Chargers. But now I think maybe they split them, you know? And one other shout to Teddy Bridgewater. There was what Von Miller came out and said, which was that he hasn't seen leadership on that team like that since Peyton Manning. So it, he's balling and he's making an impact in the locker room and and on the field like from a leadership standpoint. 
So you got the 2-0 Raiders, the 2-0 Broncos, and the 1-1 Chiefs that I think everyone anticipates being better in the long run than the Chargers. So the Chargers aren't going to win their division. Put your name on that one. Are they going to sneak in with one of the wild cards? It doesn't look like it right now. Their playoff aspirations seem very, very slight. One of the wild cards is probably going to come from the AFC North between the Ravens, the Steelers, and the Browns. I mean, the the Dolphins or the the Patriots or the Bills could be in there. And then, obviously, you've got the other teams like Denver and the Raiders as well. I mean, if you look, if you put all of those teams in into a hat and you have to pick two, are the Chargers going to be one of those teams that you're picking? I, I just don't know. So, yeah, kind of a disappointing start. Herbert's looked okay. I won't, I won't say that, you know, he's looked terrible so far. But, I mean, they haven't really put up the amount of points that we were expecting. I mean, they put up 20 in week one. They put up 17 in week two. And that's against the Cowboys. And let's be honest, the Cowboys don't really have that good of a defense. Uh, so, yeah, kind of disappointing uh, start to the season for the Chargers. I think they can potentially turn it around for sure, but um, maybe not the top of the Super Bowl hopefuls like we thought. So we've talked about some spots that we may have been a little too generous going into the season, some spots that we've been maybe a little too harsh going into the season, and we're being proven wrong. We'll see how that shapes out. But that does it for our way too early hot takes. When we come back, we're going to go ahead and put somebody on the hot seat. Right now we're back with this episode's edition of the hot seat, and we've got a familiar face. Uh, We've talked about this guy multiple times in the podcast before, and we're going to talk about him again in uh, not-so-glowing terms. Not that we talked about him in glowing terms to begin with. Uh, We've got current Philadelphia 76er, Ben Simmons. Mike, I know you have a lot of opinions on this one. Why is Ben Simmons on the hot seat this week? I'm going to warn you all, this may turn into a a combo of the hot seat, and that's disrespectful. Just a heads up. But Ben Simmons is feeling some type of way about being on the 76ers because he somehow, like, he screwed them out of their playoff series. And I guess he feels upset that he didn't get enough support afterwards. And now he's getting a bunch of, of crap for it. And now he doesn't want to be on the team anymore. So this is boiling over to the point that he's decided I'm not playing another game with the 76ers. I'm not going to practice for the 76ers. Probably not going to media day. He's basically said, I'm willing to sacrifice or otherwise eat whatever money I need to just to not go, not participate in team activities until you trade me. I'm done with the 76ers. So 76ers are between a rock and a hard place. They're going to have to move Ben Simmons. If I were the 76ers, I would be ecstatic about getting rid of him. The thing is, Ben Simmons is so good in so many ways at basketball. His ball handling for his size, his defense, his athleticism. He just can't shoot. 
And the thing is, this man, here's a hot take for you. This man coming into the league was a jump shot away from being on pace to be a top 10 player of all time. That's how freaking good Ben Simmons is at everything else. He just doesn't care. He doesn't want to learn to shoot. And we've talked about this before. It's just that. It's all mental for him. And if you lack the desire to be great, you lack the desire to like come in, put in the work to make yourself better and subsequently make the team better, that's not a player I want. The issue for the 76ers, and then I'll kick it to you, is Ben Simmons is on a four still has four years left on his deal, $147 million on that deal. And the entire basketball world just saw him first collapse in the playoffs. He was terrified of the moment. And then every team is seeing his behavior now. So how badly or how big of an issue is he on the court? How big is how big of an issue is his attitude off the court? And we have to swallow that cap hit to tr- to get him when the 76ers still think he's worth like a bunch of valuable assets. So if you're like Portland, I'm just picking them because their name has come up a lot with this whole thing. If you're Portland, you got to be thinking, so Philadelphia wants me to give up CJ McCollum and draft picks and a young asset for this whiny little baby that doesn't care about getting better. That's going to throw a tantrum when he doesn't get his way. And then I can't count on him in the playoffs. Yep. Pretty much that. Um, I mean, like you said, he's still got that four years, $147 million. It's not like a normal job where you can just fire him. You still got to give him that money and you can't just eat that. Um, but now, and it's from a from an organization perspective, they, they've discussed trades since after the playoffs. And... They just felt like they could get more for Ben Simmons in a trade. They want him to start the season, improve his trade value, and then be able to to trade him for more than the offers they were getting in the offseason. But now it's looking like a terrible move by the franchise because they must have really underestimated how disenfranchised Ben Simmons was with the 76ers. All indications say that Ben Simmons understands the financial implications of not showing up and not playing and not practicing within the league's collective bargaining agreement. It provides the Sixers the ability to withhold his salary for a player's failure to provide services. And the Sixers also have their own set of rules that includes fines for missing media days, missing practices. The final resort could be to suspend him once preseason games begin which could cost Simmons $227,613 for each game that he misses. That's the kind of money we're talking about here. Almost 250 k per game that he plays. And yet Ben Simmons is so done with the organization, and apparently already so rich, that he doesn't even care. He just wants out of there so bad. And on one hand, I feel for him, because the amount of vitriol that came his way after his performance in the playoffs for the 76ers, I mean, I wouldn't want to be on the end of it. Like, that was, it was almost a little tough to watch 
um, as everybody laid into him. Fans, media members, even his own, like even his own organization and his own franchise didn't really back him up that much because everybody was frustrated at the fact, like you said, he doesn't want to learn how to get better. He got paid. He got his money. He was that number one overall draft pick. He thinks he's hot shit. And, you know, as we've seen, he's not living up to the contract. Yes, it's a difficult situation for the 76ers. It's a difficult situation for Ben Simmons. And um, whatever team that ends up trading for him, which I assume will happen, because he's still a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. He's still going to improve any team that he lands on for the most part. But at this point, what do you give up for him? The Sixers have no, literally no leverage whatsoever in these talks. Everybody knows it's public. Everybody knows the situation now. Everybody knows that Ben Simmons isn't going to play. So at a certain point, what do you like get in a trade? A second rounder or something? Like may, maybe the Sixers are going to have to eat some of that cash if they want to get anything of note in return. I don't know. It's it's a tough position for the franchise. And honestly, Ben Simmons should be kind of ashamed of himself because he brought all of this upon himself. If he had just performed, even if he just shot his free throws better, forget like hitting three-pointers. There are plenty of players in the NBA who don't hit three-pointers who are still effective. But the fact that he, he can't even hit free throws regularly and he has to be subbed out in key situations in the game because they can't trust him to hit this very simple thing. And there are some people out there going, well, isn't it worth it to have him on your team if he's so good? You just take him out at the end, you know, when he's not a liability. To that I say, consider how much money you have to commit to Ben Simmons. Not to mention the fact that you probably still have to trade a valuable piece for him at the end of the day, like potentially, right? Um, if we're paying, let's just say he ends up on the Hawks. If we're paying him that much money, it means that's money that we can't be paying someone else that would be valuable at the end of the game, which means inevitably one of our five, if not two of our five that's on the court at the end of the game is not as good as we probably could afford to have if we didn't have Ben Simmons, not to mention he's a great defender. When do you need defense the most at the end of the game? And you can't put him in because as soon as he touches the ball, he's going to get fouled. And I have to say, you know who looks like a damn fool right now? Daryl Morey. I'll, I'll give you all a little behind the scenes. It's not the first time. No, it is not. <laughs> oh, man. Let me give you all a little behind the scenes real quick. We considered making Dennis Schroeder the hot seat for how he fumbled the bag. He had an opportunity to sign a four-year, $84 million deal with the Lakers. He bet on himself. No one wanted to pay him, so he signed a one-year, $5.9 million deal with the Celtics. Ha ha ha, Schroeder's an idiot. Well, Daryl Morey did a very similar thing with this Ben Simmons situation, where, like, forget the postseason. For a lot of the regular season, there was talks about, like, are they going to trade Ben Simmons? Uh, they sh they're listening to trade talks and everything. And this, you know, was behind this whole idea, like, 
can they win with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, or does one need to go to better build around the other? I actually remember saying, yes, they do. But he said, no, we're not getting the um, the offer that we want for Ben Simmons. And there was one that was like absurd that had like four or five first rounders and an all-star. I can't remember which all-star it was, but I know it was like an all-star and four first rounders. And he was going, nope, that's not adequate compensation. We want, and it came out, we want a James Harden level piece for Ben Simmons. Buddy boy. Not only are you not getting James Harden level compensation. I don't know, as a Hawks fan, I don't know that I would trade Skylar Mays for Ben Simmons right now. And I'm guessing a lot of the people listening have not even heard of Skylar Mays. Like, you fumbled the Ben Simmons bag. If you had just traded him ahead of time, you would have had so much to build with and you'd be contending for years to come because you would have set up something like really respectable around your superstar, Joel Embiid. Like you said, Dave, the Sixers have zero leverage. Houdini couldn't pull his way out of this. Like, this is otherworldly bad. Yeah, so stay tuned. Um, I'm sure that this will be resolved at some point this season. But right now, it's just a bad look for everybody involved. And it's a bad look for the NBA. I mean, the fact that you've got a play, like a star player like this who is just refusing to like play for the team that he has a contract with and everything. I mean, it just looks bad for everybody involved. So, um, yeah, Ben Simmons, more than deserving to be on the hot seat for this week. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show with my fun fact. So stick around. All right, and we are back, and it is time for the highly anticipated fun fact of the episode. Dave, what do we got? Thanks for hyping me up. Mike the Hype Man over here. Um, you know what I do? Yeah. So this episode... All I'm going to say is that these fun facts will shock you because we're talking about lightning. That was a horrible intro. Anyways. Um, I hype you up. <laughs> I hype you up and then you come up with a stupid pun like that. Come on. No. Come on. Um, anyways. So yeah, just wanted to share some fun facts. And also like I realize I know it's called the fun fact. And I give multiple fun facts, but that's just because there's just a lot of fun facts about these particular subjects. And, you know, it's my segment. I do what I want. Um, so, first of all, lightning is approximately five times hotter than the surface of the sun, which is crazy, especially when you consider that people get struck by lightning and live. But I feel like if you touched the sun, you would immediately die. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a, a space expert or anything. That just kind of seems pretty absurd to me. And I don't know if you've ever seen like the, um, like the scars or like the rashes and stuff that people get after they get, after they've been struck by lightning, but it literally looks like a, like a spider type of thing. It looks like a, like a flash of lightning, like on their arm or whatever, where the electricity like, like flowed into their like veins and stuff. And it's like, it's actually kind of crazy. Um, so, yeah, five times hotter than the sun. I think this is the most interesting fun fact of all of, of these. There is a lake in Venezuela 
called Lake Maracaibo. I think I've said that correctly. Um, where lightning strikes every single day. It's 300 days out of the year. It's like most most days this happens. It always happens at the same time and in the same area. So it's like after dusk, lightning strikes 28 times a minute for up to nine hours. And they say that the, like it, it, it happens so frequently that it's almost like you can just see everything. Like it's almost like it's daytime because the everything is lit up so much from all the lightning strikes that happen. And it, it's due to some like weather phenomenon thing that I'm not going to get into because I don't really understand it. But the people that all live here, this lake is one of the oldest lakes in the world. It supports like 20,000 fishermen or something. And lightning strikes are like three or four times more likely or like pe- people who live there are three or four times more likely to get struck by lightning than they are anywhere else in the world. And I mean, that makes sense. But what's crazy is these people, because dusk is like the best time to fish um, for, for these people at this lake. And so even though that's when the lightning strikes happen, that's when a lot of these people go out and still fish. And then they just get struck by lightning. It's I, like, I don't really, I don't understand that. But, um, but yeah, so there's a random lake in Venezuela where chances are, if you're, you know, if you're there, light, there's going to be a bunch of lightning strikes and it's not even necessarily raining. It's just a bunch of lightning that happens at the same time every day. Pretty wild. Well, does the lightning at that lake kill the fish? Like, because then I feel like fishing becomes very easy. You just like show up with like a butterfly net or something and scoop the the surface of the water. And but I will say, even as dangerous as that sounds, it's still more likely that I would go fishing there than go skydiving, like you talked about in a, cu- <laughs> a couple episodes ago. See, I, new challenge: go skydiving at that lake. No, I'll meet you on the ground. <laughs> and, I'll, I'll meet you in a little rowboat. I don't. I don't care. Like, bring it on, lightning! I don't care how hot you are. I'd still rather do that than jump out of a plane. To each their own, I suppose. But yeah, I just, um, I don't know. There is something about lightning that's always just kind of fascinated me. Um, ever since I was a little kid, and just the just the idea that like there's somewhere in the world where pretty much every single night lightning strikes like almost every two seconds for up to nine hours and it's just like this constant like thing i don't know it just blows my mind that that is absolutely crazy though. like that it's got to be like simultaneously beautiful and terrifying yeah for sure um you know the world's a really cool place so um yeah but that that just about wraps up this episode of the mike and dave podcast uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to uh, some of our hot takes. Um, apologies about the length of my rant about Florida State and the Falcons. You know, it's been a hard week, all right? I've been stressed. I needed to rant about about those things. So um, hopefully maybe you got some enjoyment out of that. Reach out to us on social media if you haven't already. Um, you know, we're pretty active on on Facebook, especially Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, at Mike and Dave Pod. And uh, share any of your hot takes. Let us know. <laughs> Do you really disagree with our hot takes? Do you think that I'm crazy? 
for saying that the ACC is by far the worst conference. Are you also a Florida State fan? Do you feel my pain? Let me know. Uh, we can suffer together. It's better than suffering alone. Uh, <laughs> that just sounded so so sad. Um, but but yeah, definitely reach out to us and uh, let us know your thoughts. Let us know your thoughts about Ben Simmons' trade value. I'm interested to see like what people still think about what he's worth. Do you think that it's possible for the 76ers to get anything of note for Ben Simmons, or do you think he is absolutely just squash that for them? But we'd love to have that conversation with you. Also, before we forget, we have a shout out to make because on our previous episode, we asked you to message us with your fantasy rosters if you were in need of a cool team name for fantasy football. And we have not one, but two fantasy team names to unveil for you. The first one, shout out to Brittany for sending us this roster. Now, on both of these requests, we did send about eight to ten names because we do this and we had nothing better to do. We enjoy it, okay? It's not that we had nothing better to do. We wanted to do it. It's <laughs> what I live for. Nothing more important now than that. So the winner for Brittany's team name, after C.D. Lamb, C.D. had a little lamb. So that's one. Number two, shout out to Michael, not me. This is not me, like, shout out to writing or... <laughs> I didn't I didn't make a burner to give a new fantasy <laughs> Ross. <laughs> but shout out to me as well, you know, whatever. But we got Michael's team as well. After Young Way Koo, we got Young Way or the Highway, a team name that was suggested but not chosen after DJ Shark. Baby Shark do 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 do. Do 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 do. As many do's as could possibly fit in the space that's available. The, the the go-to number seems to be six, but <laughs> so we wanted to give those shout outs to Brittany and Michael for engaging with us and letting us give you some silly names for your fantasy teams. Oh yeah, absolutely. One last thing. All I'll say is that I've got a feeling about my chances of winning our fantasy football league this year. So two and O to start feeling good. And, uh, Mike, do you want to say anything? I don't have Adam Thielen on my team, and I don't have a good feeling about my team. I'm going to stop right there because I feel like my team is stopping right here as well. And I feel like we should stop right here while we're at it, you know, um, before you bum me out about another one of my teams. So, as always, this has been Mike. This has been Dave. And I'll, I'm looking forward to hearing a rant about your fantasy football team uh, in a few episodes from now. And this has been the Mike and Dave Podcast. Alex.